Our first reading is from the book of Daniel. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then, he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse from us, cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, I think we could summarize um, the three readings that we've heard this morning in the words, hold your nerve. Hold your nerve. It's perhaps quite a good motto almost for our current day situation. Um, Following the worst economic crisis, of course, for generations, um, both in UK and Europe, um, both the people of the UK and and Europe and their governments are going to have to hold their nerve, aren't they? Because the austerity measures which have been implemented are not going to cure the problem overnight. Things may get worse before they get better. The prescription for the medicine has been written, the first round of medicine has been taken, but the results haven't come through yet. The patient hasn't recovered. I was really quite encouraged, actually, by the outcome of the US presidential elections. Not so much because my own favoured candidate won the election, although, of course, that always helps, um, but because I think that the people of the United States of America held their nerve. Rather than panicking into a a knee-jerk reaction and throwing out the sitting president, um, more than half the electorate gave Barack Obama the benefit of the doubt and continued to trust him, at least for the moment, for the future. And in a strong sense, that's the kind of message that our readings tell us this morning. Hold your nerve. In the Gospel reading, which is on page 1000. Um, and 18 of the church Bibles. Would you like to turn to it if you've got your church Bibles with you? Um, It's useful to turn to it because um, you can see some of the context before and after the passage that was actually read. And uh, Jesus is with his disciples at the temple in Jerusalem in about 27 to 30 AD, around about that time. And they are admiring what was once considered the most awesome building in the world. It was massive. It was beautiful. Some of the individual foundation stones weighed as much as 40 tons each. It's hard to imagine. But you can still go there and see some of those foundation stones in the Western Wall in Jerusalem. But as the disciples are marvelling over this building, Jesus shocks them by saying it's going to be completely flattened, utterly destroyed. Can you imagine if you had been a New Year's Eve reveller in New York at the start of 2001, and one of your friends had turned to you, pointed at the Twin Towers, some of the largest buildings in the world, and said to you, a year from now, they're not going to be there. Well, you would have just thought it was the drink talking, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have given them any credit for it. But of course it happened. The disciples obviously took Jesus a little bit more seriously than that, and so they asked him, When's it going to happen? When's when's the temple going to be destroyed? And he doesn't answer them directly at first. First of all, he walks them across the Kidron Valley and up onto the Mount of Olives from where they can see the magnificent temple. The picture on the the cover of the service sheets and on the screen behind me is a painting by the French 19th century artist Tissot of this particular conversation Jesus has with the disciples from the Mount of Olives looking across to the temple. Jesus implies that the disciples 
will see the destruction of the temple, but that in the run-up to it, they will face many trials and tribulations. There are going to be wars and rumours of wars, verse 7, and earthquakes and famines, verse 8. But they're not to be alarmed. They are to hold their nerve. And Jesus goes on in the following verses in 9 and 10 to tell how they will face persecution and punishment and arrest and imprisonment, but the power of the Holy Spirit living in them will give them all they need to face what is to come in verse 11. And Jesus is proved right. Fast forward 35 to 40 years, and the area was enveloped in a Jewish-Roman war, which lasted for four years, including the terrible persecution of Christians under the emperor Nero, until Jerusalem, and in particular the temple, was completely destroyed by Titus, the son of the the then latest Roman emperor, Emperor Vespasian, in AD 70. Absolutely leveled. We live in uncertain times. We don't know how the whole economic, political and social landscape will change over the coming years. We don't know how or if the Anglican Communion will survive in its present form. The fall of communism, the breakdown of the Soviet Empire, the war in Europe over the former Yugoslavia, the Gulf Wars, the Arab Spring, the riots in the UK last year, Superstorm Sandy. Probably here in the UK we still feel relatively safe, but nothing is certain. How are we to live in such uncertain times. Jesus tells his disciples, do not be alarmed, do not worry. But on what basis can we remain calm and not full of anxiety about the future? Well, the honest truth is, I think, that without faith in God's purposes for the world and his love poured out for us in his son Jesus Christ, we can't. The writer of our second reading explains this in the letter to the Hebrews on page 1208. In case you forget the page numbers, they are on the hymn boards on the side of the the wall. Now, we've we've looked at Hebrews for the last couple of weeks. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but although we don't know exactly when this letter was written, it's likely it was certainly well after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um... And probably in the middle of the very uncertain times which the Christians faced in the run-up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And it begins with verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Clearly, at this stage, the temple is still in operation. Every day, the priests perform their religious duties. But the writer tells us that it's all in vain. They can never take away sins. Or however many times they go and sacrifice, they can, no, no matter how many sacrifices we make, no matter how much good we do, we can never, ever save ourselves from our own sinfulness. That's the bad news. But then it's followed by the good news. Verse 12. But when this priest, meaning Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, I don't know if you see what the writer's saying here, but even though the temple priests sacrifice again and again ad infinitum, they never finish. They never sit down. They're always standing up. That's what it says in, in, in verse 11. But after Jesus has sacrificed his life on the cross, he ascends to heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Verse 12. Why does he sit down? Because it's finished. 
The work is done. For by one, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he was made perfect forever. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, the the faithful. So what is our position then as believers? Well, our position is that God no longer counts our wrongdoings, our sins, against us. The writer quotes the prophet Jeremiah in verse 17. Their sins and lawful acts I will remember no more. And so we don't need to be anxious. We can have confidence, verse 19. We can have confidence to come to God because Jesus, through his blood, has opened up a new and living way. Our relationship with God is restored by what Jesus has done. I don't know if you were here last Sunday on Remembrance Sunday, but we listened to, for a few minutes, to the words of a a Chinook helicopter pilot um, talking about his trust in God in the middle of battle situations in Afghanistan. And, And he said that he knows, because of his faith, he knows that he's immortal until God calls him home. It's it's a great attitude. It's a wonderful attitude, isn't it? Um, That's why we don't need to be anxious. Because if we're in Christ Jesus, we're immortal until God calls us home. And the way we maintain this attitude is described in verses 23 to 25, which I think is a beautiful description of how a local church should react to uncertain times. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In other words, let's keep close to God. To his promises. For as the writer says, he who promised is faithful. Let's encourage one another. Whenever we see answered prayer, let's share that answered prayer. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I think when I, I hear the prayers being read out for the, for the people on, on the prayer list, and, and, and sometimes it seems they're on the prayer list for, for, for week after week and month after month, and it feels like nothing's happening. Um, I got a lovely email this week, um, which went like this. My uncle Ray Hayward was very ill with a spinal infection which then attacked his heart, requiring him to have emergency surgery. We've been praying for him weekly. He's been told this week that he can return to work as soon as he's found a job. How great is the power of prayer. Isn't that wonderful? And then, and then baby Zara Faith, who we've been praying for. And, and we, we know that, 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 that um, her mum was, was, was seriously asked to consider um, aborting her when she was in the womb. But her mum said no and asked us to pray. And I think we all know that today Zara Faith is a healthy, happy little girl. Kevin, who had a terrible motorcycle accident, we've been praying for him for weeks and months. He's well enough to go back to work and to, to live life to the full again. Isn't that wonderful? More answered prayer. The writer to the Hebrews says in verse 24... Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The antidote to the anxieties and the uncertainties of the world around us, to the cynicism and negativity in much of our society, is to hold our nerve, despite what we see going on around us, and spread good news, the good news of God's love, and to spread good deeds as we serve those around us in, the, in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces, as we walk confidently in God's promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the advice of these New Testament writers to Christians who were suffering terribly, far more than we are. And if it worked for them, it certainly should work for us.
When things go wrong, we often find, as we look back, that God has actually brought some good out of a bad situation. Um, can I encourage you just briefly to turn to page 1135? It's not one of the ones on the, on the board. It's, a, it's not one of our readings. But just turn to page 1135. It's Romans, it's Romans chapter 8. Um, it's one of the, I think it's one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. Romans chapter 8 on 1135. And it's verse 28. And Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, and in verse 28 um, of chapter 8, this is what he says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, whatever, however bad a situation, God can bring good out of it. He, he works for the good of those who love him. In September 2000, um, one day in, uh, I went to work. I was called into the HR department um, by my boss who had unexpectedly flown in from Germany that morning. And I was told that I was fired. I was given five minutes to clear my desk. I was walked out of the car park and basically told to get lost in no uncertain terms. Um, and it took me three months to find another job. When I look back on that period... In retrospect, it was a very unpleasant thing that happened that morning. But when I look back in retrospect, I realised that the week after I lost my job, I started going on an Alpha course. I wasn't a churchgoer before that. Um, I could never have attended that Alpha course had I continued in my job because I travelled a lot and I would never have got to to most of the meetings. I also realised that I landed my new job on the very last day of the Alpha course. And that while I was on the course, I had found for the first time in my life faith in Jesus Christ. And since then, I've been privileged to help perhaps quite a few others find faith in Jesus too. And not to lose their jobs, but find faith. Um, But God brought, I feel that God brought some great good out of what was, on the face of it, a really bad situation. Speaking of which, I was really, speaking of Alpha, I was really encouraged by the Alpha Day we had here, not yesterday, but last Saturday. We had a lovely day, and people, I think that several people were really touched by the gentle ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what the subject of the Alpha Day is about, God's Holy Spirit living in us, empowering our Christian lives, and encouraging us, making God's love real to us. Both Jesus And the writer of the Hebrews would say to us, whatever we see going on around us, however uncertain the times, don't lose your nerve. Keep going. Keep learning together. Keep praying together. Keep encouraging one another with love and good deeds. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all our sins and we are set free to live the kind of lives that we were always meant to live. And that's just what we're, doing, we're going to do here at St. Matthew's. Um, after the Alpha course is finished, we're going to restart the midweek fellowship group. I mentioned that at the beginning. And as, we, as well as that, we're going to start up some midweek house groups that, that meet in smaller groups in people's houses so that we can alternate meeting as a fellowship group together here and, and in houses in smaller groups. And, um, and I think that that will help us to grow together and to, and to build ourselves up together. And it'll spur one, another on, uh, spur one another on in our Christian lives. And I would love to invite, again, I'll just mention it again, I'd love to invite you all along to the 
on the 12th of December to that midweek fellowship group. We're going to have a, a chance for all of us to, to put in our ideas and suggestions for how we move forward as a church next year in 2013. So I'd like to finish with an invitation. Come to that. Come to the Christmas party um, and, uh, and, and have some fun and, uh, and, and enjoy uh, December the 19th with us or that, the following Wednesday night. You're all invited. And uh, we just want to be celebrating all that God has done for us in this year and uh, looking forward to the year ahead.